Hi, it's Mark Bittman, and welcome to Food. As always, you can reach out to us at food at markbittman.com. Let us know what you think. And please subscribe to the podcast and rate us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And consider, too, subscribing to our frequent newsletter, The Bitman Project. That's at bitmanproject.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're all drinking more water these days and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. Less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code BITMAN, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. 
When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Have you ever found yourself able to do something that you've been sure you weren't going to be able to do? Cooking, for example. Do you remember that feeling? Do you know or have you thought about the difference between accomplishment and achievement? Do you feel like you've ever really mastered something, more than one thing, many things? Our guest today is someone who's thought about these topics at length, who has experienced mastery in many forms, both his and in other people's, and is, shall I say it, a master of studying mastery. Here with me and Kate is Adam Gopnik, one of the best and most prolific writers I or anyone else knows. He's written about Paris, about baseball, about magicians, about gun violence, and much about food and cooking, mostly for The New Yorker, where he's been for decades. We both, Kate and I, both admire Adam's writing deeply. And when we heard about his new book, The Real Work on the Mystery of Mastery, we were eager to have him on to tell us what the hell mastery really is, and also to talk about baking and favorite New York meals and many other things. I wasn't surprised that Kate and I had a really lively and sweet conversation with Adam, and here it is. Thank you for joining us. Great to have you here. Delighted to be here. Your new book is called The Real Work on the Mystery of Mastery, and it explores how we can tackle a new skill and then turn it into something we actually master. So I guess the first obvious question is, what's mastery mean? What'd you find out? And can anyone become a master of something? Well, I I wouldn't pretend to be a master of much of anything. I stumbled into studies, I learning to draw, learning to drive, learning to dance, even learning to box. I think that what drew me to the idea of mastery was exactly a, a distinction I make at the beginning of the book, and that's between achievement and accomplishment. As I'm sure you and Kate will recognize, we live in an achievement-driven society in which kids, particularly fortunate kids, are pushed to achieve at every moment, to get the next grade, to uh, advance to the elect level, get into the select university, and so on. And we're driven from one achievement to another, usually marked by a number of some kind or grade. But in my own experience, and certainly my experience watching my own kids come of age, what really mattered to them was accomplishment. And accomplishment could be at a right angle to the main line, the driven road of achievement. What do I mean by accomplishment? I mean things as simple as learning how to form a C chord on a folk guitar, 
something as simple as learning to do the Erdnay's color change with a deck of cards for a 13-year-old boy who's obsessed with card magic. And of course, I mean things that you and I have talked about in the past and you've written about it uh, so eloquently, learning how to make a tartatan that stays intact or learning how to uh, uh, beat egg whites to make a souffle, which was my pandemic uh, mastery. Um, Mm. So all of those things, even if we don't, make our living doing them, even if we don't directly apply them to other things, are, in my experience, the foundation which gives us the confidence and the sense of satisfaction, the the pattern, if you like, of uh, contentment and of absorption that uh, liberates us to do work that we do do for a living or that we do as our vocation. So I always say, you know, that the reason I'm able to write productively after 40 years of The New Yorker and millions of words published is because I struggled to learn how to form a C chord and an E minor chord and an F chord and a G chord on my $40 guitar when I was 12 years old. That's the real source of accomplishment for me. So the idea of mastery for me began by exactly making that distinction between achievement, between the kind of gee-gaws of achievement that we hold out, glitter before kids, and the actual solid sound absorption of accomplishment. You know, it's interesting because you just said that you mastered meringues. And when I thought about mastery, I was really only thinking about huge accomplishments, like mastering the guitar or mastering writing books or big things that feel daunting to most people. But you can master something smaller. And I just wasn't thinking that way. So it's funny. Why did my head go there? Yeah, I think most of the sad, most satisfying mastery we achieve is often of small things. I give the, um, for me, it wasn't meringue so much. It was uh, souffles. We have, a, there's a food angle to, to this. My mom was a great souffle maker all the while I was growing up. She was one of those women of the Julia Child generation. She was a logician and a scientist and a linguist, but she was obsessed with mastering the art of French cooking in the famous phrase. And she became a fantastic souffle maker. And I never was able, I did them sporadically off and on, but I never really did them well. And when the pandemic arrived and there was nothing to do but make dinner, I decided I was going to figure out how to do it. Five egg whites beaten 250 times 300 times, whatever the, and I found the precise number. And then I discovered, here's a little, a a little trick that the ideal way to get a souffle to rise is to start with an oven at about 375 and then have it deheating after you put it in so that the the temperature is coming down. All of those little things, I think are in some ways, they were meaningful to us. That was my ability to give my wife a, a loving dessert. But they're typical of the way that we master all of these small steps in life. I give the example of boxing in the book. I'm the most improbable and um, uh, incapable boxer (laughs) you could ever imagine. But I started studying boxing with a wonderful Muay Thai champion named Joey Contrada. And what Joey taught me was simply a sequence of small stumbling steps to make with my hands. You throw the jab, you throw another jab, jab, then you throw the cross then the hook, then you slip, then you throw the uppercut. And I suddenly realized as I was painfully mastering this sequence, that was everything I'd ever seen in a boxing ring. Um, every, every good boxer follows a sequence like that. Only when you see it being executed at high tempo, it just looks like they're throwing punches, but they're not throwing punches. They're following the sequence every bit as uh, 
as ordered and pre-considered as formal dancing or as the steps in a great French recipe. And so that commonality of seeing how inevitably small stumbling steps, if you persevered in them, could take on the illusion at least, or in fact, the reality of a seamless sequence. That was a commonality of learning to master things that extended through my experience and indeed through this book. You give this similar example of uh, Lester Young sort of playing the same riff in every, almost every song, but his mastery was knowing when to play that riff. And to play it. Yeah, I'm a huge jazz fan, of course, and exactly, you know, there's the character, the signature Lester Young swoop in everything that Lester Young plays. Um, I had a fascinating conversation once with one of the great American sociologists, who I mentioned several times in the book, Howie Becker. Um, and Howie Becker is a fascinating guy in his 90s now who was a, a revolutionary sociologist at the revolutionary in the work he did at the University of Chicago back in the 40s. But he also doubled as a jazz pianist in strip clubs in Chicago. I said to him once, so you were learning this at, at uh, jazz clubs. He said, no, not jazz clubs, strip clubs. That's where we learned to do this work. And he made the point to me that he studied with Lenny Tristano, who's one of the great figures of of early bebop, I guess it was. Anyway, he made the point to me that when you're improvising in jazz, you don't just go on a kind of free fugue state of doing whatever you want. You have what he calls crips. That's what the guys in the night in the strip club taught. You have crips, set little pieces that you know already that you string together in new ways. You ornament and uh, extend, attenuate in new ways. And you can't improvise unless you have those crips. Exactly, again, those small, specific steps, which the point of being a virtuoso is not to invent a new every time. That's not, Mozart couldn't have invent a new every time he, he played a, a cadenza. The point is to have those crypts in your head and extend, attenuate, elongate them in ever new ways. I think that's very typical of the actual process of creative mastery. A big mastery is, in a way, the stringing together of many little masteries. You have to learn how to beat egg whites. You have to figure out this oven temperature thing, each of those things. I mean, and to be a good cook, you know, have to know how to brown things and you have to know how to roast things and you have to, and each of those little things is a stepping stone to sort of feeling like you have a comprehensive, if not mastery, then at least understanding of what you're doing. I think that's exactly right. It, the a larger mastery is made out of the smaller ones and cooking gives, you know, a very good a model of it because what happens, at least in my experience of cooking is you master all those, you master all the steps the recipe demands. And then, as you have written about, Mark, then you go rogue, right? Then you, part of what it is to master, to become a better cook, to have some mastery cooking, is to understand all the things the recipe doesn't include, all the kind of rules of thumb, all the mm -hmm. accumulated savvy and craft that enables you to understand more than just what the list of steps demand. And, you know, that's so typical of, every kind of mastery we delight in. But is it possible to master something that really can't be, that's not exact? Because making a souffle is a very exact science. When COVID was first starting and I was trying to like get into a better mental state, I, start, I said, okay, I'm going to do yoga every day for, three, for 30 days. And I was actually living with Mark at the time. We were all just like living at the farm together. And it was the summertime. And then I haven't stopped since. So I've done it every day now for, I guess, almost three years. 
And I'm never going to master it because that's kind of the whole point of yoga is you don't master it. So I don't know. I mean, there's kind of like a line as to what you can and cannot technically master, right? Yes. Well, I I think that in the nature of it, of any accomplishment, it's open-ended. We go on learning and improving. It's the nature of doing good work for yourself that you um, have to kind of disassemble all of the 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 dungeon of fears and and anxieties that you've imprisoned yourself in. Everybody who has a phobia of any kind has all these compensating um, behaviors that they've introduced to prevent you from having to confront the phobia. And it's one of the things that meditation and yoga and all those kinds of practices are good at is disassembling the 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 armor of anxiety that we've built in order not to have to face the actual the actual problem we've had. So in a certain sense, it's about anti-mastery. It's not about learning to do something. It's about unlearning uh, something that we've unconsciously constructed over the years. Before I read the book, and I think maybe I'm still a little confused, I think of mastery as mastery with a, with a capital M. Somehow it's beyond competence or accomplishment, which are both words you've used. But But I think that you're kind of using it to mean you're good at it. You feel comfortable at it. You also obviously recognize there's plenty of still plenty of room to go. No one is the master of anything, right? Well, exactly. I the one sure sign of mastery of actual, you know, top of the line, top sure mastery in my experience is complete perpetual dissatisfaction with what you've with what you've actually done. I've never known somebody who I think has the real work in any field I admire, who is conceited in that way. We all have an ego and we have competitive vanity. At least I'm a better sentence maker than some other guy or woman. But uh, I've never known anybody who's really good at something who doesn't isn't perpetually dissatisfied with their own performance. I was writing once, I wrote a profile once, not in this book, about uh, the winemaker who you m- must know, Randall Graham. Yeah, of uh, of Bonnie Dune. And what makes Randall such an incredibly engaging and sympathetic character is he always hates whatever wine he's made. He's always telling you that it's not as good as Chateau Reyes. It will never be uh, <laughs> equal to Great Burgundy. He makes wonderful wine. He's perpetually dissatisfied with it. And I was sort of try- thinking about it once and I realized, you know, if, in all of us, there's a space uh, out from outside, you can only see the accomplishments. You say, make wonderful wine. Inside, we all know the vast gap between our original ambitions for our vocation and the accomplishments we've had. Inside, we track the space between our ambitions and our accomplishments, even if externally other people can track the scale of, of our accomplishments. So I don't think that it's and and then and you know, if you ask the the larger question, which is what I think you're you're pointing to, what is it that distinguishes that handful of people who are we we elevate to the very top rung in the in whatever field it might be, wherever whatever skill it might be. And what's fascinating about it is in almost invariably, it seems to me that it's not that they have absolute technical virtuosity. Technical virtuosity is very, very widespread in the modern world. It's that they bring some particular idiosyncratic signature to it that is unique to them, that we've never encountered before, that's in the best sense, eccentric or original. I mean, it can be as simple as a singer's vibrato or the way a pianist italicizes with legato. The music, you know, we love 
a bit of human imperfection in all the in all the art that we love. It's why we love blues singers. It's why we think that uh, you know Billie Holiday is a better singer than uh, I won't name a name, but than some technically impeccable singer. It's because of her her slurs, her pauses, her hesitations, the way she humanizes even the tawdriest lyric that she sings. So we're drawn. Uh, we love technical perfection, but we're stirred by human imperfection. And I think it's that dialogue between the two things that's the real mark of the, of the higher mastery that you're talking about, gesturing towards Mark. We'll be back with Adam Gopnik in just a minute. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, folks. We have a new sponsor and an interesting one. We all take about 20,000 breaths a day, and Americans spend about 90% of our time indoors. That indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. And indoor air pollutants can cause respiratory symptoms like sneezing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. So, what's the solution? Introducing Air Doctor, the air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BITMAN. B-I-T-T-M-A-N, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to our listeners, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com. That's A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code BITMAN. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, 
available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, folks. A word from our friends at Made In. Did you know that most of the dishes in Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant are made in, made in pots and pans? The braised short ribs? Made in, made in. The Rohan duck? Made in, made in. The heritage pork chop? You got it. Made in, made in. Which isn't surprising. Made in has been supplying top chefs and restaurants with high-end cookware for years. For the simple reason that Made In makes exactly what demanding chefs are looking for. Their carbon steel cookware, for example, combines the best of cast iron and stainless steel, gets super hot, and is rugged enough for grills or an open flame. Best of all, Made In is sold online, so their professional-grade cookware is far more affordable than other iron brands. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes on menus all around the world have in common. They're made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from the 18th until the 27th. Visit madeincookware.com. That's madeincookware.com. Thanks. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water, less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water, and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bittman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. We should probably talk about cooking a little more. Sure. <laughs> well, I wanted to say, um, after Mark and I read the the baking chapter in particular, he said to me, why didn't we all have a mom like Adam? <laughs> um, so do you want to talk about your mom a little? Because 
Love to what, talk about what happened. It was like you went, you found out that your wife had been a bread baker when she was young and didn't bake bread anymore. And it prompted you to make some no need bread. And then you kind of decided that you were going to apprentice with your mom. You know, a lot of the chapters in this book, and they're really kind of comic essays, uh, you know, as I say, you know, disguised as, as self-help literature. And one of the things that many of them have in common is the sort of compensatory acts, right? Like learning to draw uh, after a lifetime as an art critic, finally learn to draw. And I, I wanted to learn to bake from my mother. And so my mom was an extraordinary baker. My mom's an exceptional woman. She was a scientist. I should explain. She was a scientist, a logician, and most famously a linguist who made some foundational discoveries in uh, the genetics of language. But she was a devoted cook, as I said before, you know, one of that. Calvin Trillin has a nice phrase somewhere. What is it? The domestic deviation. Do you remember that? <laughs> he talks about how so many women who were driven, career women, feminists of my mother's generation, Alice Trillin's uh, generation, became great cooks as a feminist statement, right? Exactly saying, I can master this. My mom was very much part of that. And she was particularly obsessed with baking. I very much like my mother temperamentally. Uh, but as a consequence, we'd always had some friction between us. So it was compensatory. And since I wanted to go up and bond with my mother over baking. And she taught me all this wonderful stuff. She makes Montreal style bagels, which are better than any other bagels. You boil them and they're have maybe a little bit of honey, a little bit sweeter. She makes great babka. In addition to all these French things, croissants and brioches and her own invention, the boissant, which is a cross, <laughs> a hybrid of a, of a brioche and a croissant. And, you know, it, for me, it was a way, everything we master, everything we do involves everything we are. That might be a rule. Everything we do involves everything we are. So I couldn't avoid the subject of my mother in terms of learning to bake any more than I could avoid the subject or didn't want to avoid the subject of my father in learning to drive because I didn't learn to drive till my 50s and my dad had been driving since he was 14. So I baked with my with my mom. And then I had, and in the end of the piece, it was actually totally true. I suddenly realized that Martha, my wife of many years, um, beloved and cherished and I write about often, had been a baker too, only I had been too blind to understand <laughs> and recognize that she was a baker, had ambitions to bake, and that had been excised from her by the my my very um uh what's the right word ostentatiously performative Jewish family. And so I wanted to tell that little fable of not just of uh, later in life learning, but also in later in life recognition. For me, the most moving part of the whole story is my mom is uh you know, struggling with age, as we all struggle with age. And um, I got to wondering about what was going to happen. She's been keeping, as all good bakers do, a sourdough starter intact for years and years and decades. And as you know, the sourdough starter is always called the mother. Uh, <laughs> and I wondered what would become of the mother's, my mother's mother, as she gave up baking. And uh, the answer turned out to be quite moving. And that is that it, it turns out that all the kind of residual schmutz on the baker's hands, all the little bugs and bacteria transmit themselves into the starter. And that if you're, if you look at the, the genetic composition, the DNA, for instance, in a, in a French baker sourdough starter, there are traces in it of things that go back to the 19th century. All the little, the little microbes that we have in our hands communicate themselves to the starter. They're part of what makes it delicious schmutz is mm -hmm. flavor right <laughs> and 
so my mother's hands live on in my mother's mother, in my mother's sourdough starter. And I find something very moving about that because it's exactly the the smaller scale on which um, human continuity can happen. Yeah, that's beautiful. This is sort of a non sequitur, but not really. There's this part where you describe Martha in the book. I'm just going to read it because I was so touched by it. And now to hear you talk about your mom, just the way that you speak about them is so nice. But there's a part in the book where you find out that she was a baker, like we just talked about. And you said, it, the, the bread that you, the recipe that you found is called Martha's bread. And you said, Martha's bread. When did you bake bread? To say that I was incredulous doesn't capture it. One way to describe Martha is to say that she looks like a woman who has never had a loaf of bread named after her. Perfumes, <laughs> dresses, and dances, perhaps, but not oat and honey bread. No loaves might be the title of her personal manifesto. I just loved that so much. And not because I think bread is a bad thing, but I just think that every person should be lucky enough to have someone say something that nice about them. So I just wanted to read that part. I loved it. One of the things that's, uh, as I say, you know, I mentioned uh, Calvin Trillin, but Trillin a moment ago. And um, in some ways, I've always feel I've I've inherited the domestic comedy role from from Trillin at the magazine. But and one of the things I always loved about Trillin's writing long before I knew Trillin was the um, teasing affection with which he wrote about his wife now tragically, um, now tragically gone. Um, so I like to. So there's a little note of Trillin's microbes, the schmutz from Bud Trillin's hands, I think, in the things I often I write about Martha. But I did want to add one of the things I, you know, I, I make no claims to be uh, the ideal feminist husband. But one of the things that's sort of thematic in this book, and I raise it in the introduction, is that a lot of the kind of mini mastery, the micro mastery of life has been women's work traditionally and has been uh, relegated to women's work uh, very often. You know, I have uh, five sisters, if you can imagine, uh, all PhDs in one thing or another. And one of them is a psychologist, well-known psychologist, Alison Gopnik. And she makes the point that so much of developmental psychology, child psychology, is catch-up work. It's simply repeating in in the language of science things that mothers have known for millennia. Uh, mothers have known about their kids for millennia. And I think that taking uh, baking seriously, in a sense, as a, not just com- compensatory to my mom, though it was, but compensatory to the things that we wrongly um, condescend to as, as, as domestic work. I'm just going to say that in 1970, when I started cooking seriously, it was kind of a joke, but there was also a lot of talk about cooking as reparations, male cooking as reparations. <laughs> well, I, I wrote once, you know, and I'm acutely aware of it. I do all the cooking in our house, and I, I'm, and Martha made me for my, dare I say, 65th birthday, a beautiful photo book, Martha and Olivia, uh, my daughter, our daughter, called um, Adam's Pandemic Dinners, which was just a register of all the elaborate dinners I'd made through those difficult pandemic days. But nonetheless, it is also the case that becoming a guy, becoming the family cook, you get all the credit for it, right? Because it's the showy side of domesticity, right? And then everybody says, oh, we'll clean up, dad. It's all right. We'll, We'll, you know, go have a have a glass of Calvados you've been cooking all day. So you get all the credit for the domestic work and the really boring, dull stuff. Because cooking is is fun. Cooking is is creative and productive. 
Uh, so maybe we have a maybe we're still more masculine than we like to. Uh, no, because washing up is water play. Yes, I. <laughs> I really hate washing up. <laughs> I really do, and I I complain. Sometimes I complain that Nick doesn't cook, but then when he offers to, I'm like, no, 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 because then I have to clean up. Yeah. <laughs> rather you did the cleanup. I'd much rather you did the cleanup. I am getting better about it. I will add. For years, I was the most aggravating kind of home cook. I was good. I'm a good cook, but I would do everything. There'd be a million things left open and and around on the counter. And now I try to do my mise en place with more discipline. It was always striking to me with the little brief time that I cooked in a French kitchen. It was all about the mise en place. It was all about getting set up and keeping your station clean. The thing that was emphasized over and over again was you keep your station clean. And uh, it's like being in the military. That is the French military is is, uh, keeping your station clean. That is not how Mark cooks. (laughs) He does not keep his station clean. Nor do I I really, but I'm trying to. I mean, I clean as I go, but yeah, not like an obsessive. Um, We ask this of everyone. What did you have for dinner last night? Oh, we went out. Is that count or do you want to know the last? Yeah, everything counts. We we went out um, because I had to do introduce somebody at the 92nd Street Y. So we stopped at a little Italian place on uh, Lexington Avenue in 91st. And uh, we each had our favorite Italian meal. You know, I've been eating for long enough now that I have a single favorite French meal, a single favorite <laughs> and single favorite Italian meal. And my favorite Italian meal is, you know, carciofi uh, Jewish style. What do they call those? You know, Alla the, Judea. Alla Judea. Thank you. I almost said carciofi Judeca, but that's a region of, of Venice. So, but, uh, you know, fried carciofi and then uh, an amatrociana, bucatini amatrociana. Amatrociana is the best. And, and uh, uh, a panna cotta for dessert, if they have a decent one. That for me is the ideal, it's a Roman meal and it's my favorite Roman meal. Martha likes a uh, vongole, linguine alla vongole, which is Venetian, as we know. So we uh, we had that, and I'm that's one the most satisfying, one of the three most satisfying meals that I that I cook or or ask for. Well, now What's we the have to ask what the other two. Are. <laughs> yeah, hey, you can't you can't see we're getting this. We're getting something. You did it. <laughs> well, uh, it's a place called um, uh, Paolo's. Paola's on um, on Lexington Avenue, ninety first. Lovely little place. It's one of those perfect little twelve table rooms that are vanishing from New York. Those little twelve table restaurants. The French meal is um, uh, leeks uh, vinaigrette, and then a steak au poivre with really good French style a frite and uh, a creme caramel after. And the Greek meal is Greek salad, uh, roasted grilled uh, whole fish, and um, with lemon potatoes. Uh, in Greece, you just have wonderful fresh fruit, you know, fresh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, fresh melons. So those are my three favorite meals. That's great. It would take me two hours to answer that question. <laughs> anyway, that was super <laughs> fun. Thank you, Adam. Great to talk to you. Thank you, Adam. Talk again. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Adam's recipe for 5C quarantine flan. The 5Cs being creme caramel with coconut, cinnamon, and cardamom. I'm going to break this down a little bit. You will need a cup of sugar and a teaspoon of cinnamon and a quarter cup of cold water to start. And then you'll need four egg yolks and two whole eggs and another half a cup of sugar. And then you'll need 
one and a half cups of unsweetened coconut milk and three quarters of a cup of regular milk and three quarters of a cup of heavy cream and four to six cardamom pods, the seeds taken out of the pod. So let's say a half a teaspoon of cardamom seeds and about half a cup of unsweetened coconut flakes. So you start by making a caramel. You take your cup of sugar and your quarter cup of cold water and you combine them in a small pot and cook them until that mixture is browned and almost burnt, but not not burnt, dark brown. Stir in the cinnamon, be careful, take it off the stove, stir in the cinnamon, that stuff is really hot, and then pour it into four souffle dishes. If there's some left over, you can make a couple of little pre-prepared souffle dishes, but um, Adam says he usually has leftover, I do not. Now you will take your four egg yolks and your two whole eggs and your half cup sugar and beat them together in a bowl just until it's a beautiful lemony yellow, a few minutes, using a whisk. If you use an electric mixer, it's even faster. In another pot, heat the coconut milk, that's one and a half cups, and then with the three quarters cup of milk and three quarters cup of heavy cream and the cardamom seeds and the coconut. Make that hot and steamy. Just tiny little bubbles appear on the side. Do not boil it. Then slowly pour those hot milks, that hot milk mixture, into the egg mixture, beating all the while with the whisk so the eggs don't cook. And then pour the egg mixture with the coconut and cardamom still in it into the souffle cups with the um, caramel on the bottom. Put the souffle cups into a big baking dish with boiling water, about a third of the way up the sides and bake that. Be careful with this. Bake that for 30 minutes at 350 degrees or until it's just set. Then refrigerate and when you're ready to serve, unmold by running a sharp knife around the edge of each creme caramel and inverting it onto a pretty plate. If there's any caramel that sticks inside, scrape it out of there and put it onto the flan. Serve, as Adam says, with pleasure. Nice recipe. Thank you to Adam, today's guest, who did an extremely good job of explaining all the nuances that go into mastery, and who I always love talking to, and with whom, as you can tell, we had a great deal of fun. His book, The Real Work, is out now, and you can follow him on Twitter at Adam Gopnik, that's A-D-A-M-G-O-P-N-I-K, at Adam Gopnik. Thank you to Davis Lloyd, our engineer, and... To Kate, of course, our producer and co-host. If you want more from us, visit bitmanproject.com. We just published an amazing story by Carrie Cohen about when and how to use scissors in cooking. Highly recommended. That's bitmanproject.com. Or for all things Mark Bitman, go to markbitman.com and please do subscribe to the podcast. For now, we will see you next week when we will have somebody awesome. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.